So this is we start interviews like we start sex. Yeah, uh, nice. How's it feel? Does it feel good? First, uh, oh, those ears? Those on. we ask for permission. Is this okay? Is this okay <laughs> with you? Uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> How would you like to introduce yourself? What do, what should people know about you? Who are yeah, you? Yeah, I, I am um, a Chi Town kid, uh, born and raised in Chicago. I'm a youth motivational speaker. I came here originally <clears throat> because I pursued actually a mosaic uh, internship. Okay. And I did that for two years. It was a leadership program pro called Protege. I don't know if you guys have ever heard. Yeah, of it. I heard about that. Yeah. So it's probably, I think program. that's before my time. But all right. Before you were born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I was uh, I was born in 2005. Now, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> You've grown quickly. Like the rest yeah, yeah, of yeah. The, uh, I, I'm a science experiment. <laughs> well, you were begotten. Lab. I heard you were begotten. You weren't even born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was begotten. <laughs> you begotten. <laughs> you begotten. I was, yeah. I was begotten. I am. Uh, yeah. What's that? I always wanted to say that. What's that Robin Williams movie where he ages backwards? Which movie? Robin Williams. You're talking about Wait, Jack, Jack, but he doesn't oh, age. Jack. He doesn't age backwards. Yeah, he ages quickly. I was like, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, like, I was talking about I was like, Benjamin, you're mixing Button? Benjamin yeah, Button. Yeah, Robin like, Williams is not in Benjamin <laughs> yes. Button. No, it felt like that because he graduates as an old man. Yeah. So it felt like. I wish that was my story too. Yeah. Like, I got <laughs> that Benjamin Button. You I got that born in Chicago. I got the Benjamin Button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was born an old, old man. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, well, really, really so, yeah, quick, yeah. you're a uh, you're youth motivational speaker. Yes. Do you have stuff online? How can people find you? Yeah, I have a, a website, johanspeaks.com. Okay. Very simple, straightforward. Um, uh, so that was like initially coming out here to LA, and then I started to pursue acting and filmmaking. But it's been kind of like this weird journey because of my world as a, like my pursuit as a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the road a lot and it doesn't allow me to have like the traditional, you know, kind of like journey as a actor and filmmaker. It almost feels, um, to me, I mean, because I'm, I'm an actor also. I don't know yeah, if you yeah, recognize yeah. me from all of yeah, the nothing I've yes. done. But um, Remember the Titans, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was the Titan. Uh, Did you ever watch Recess? Uh, <laughs> oh, I no, no. He's making a Mikey from uh, Recess yeah. joke. Okay. He's ripping it straight from me. Yeah, nice. I know, right? Nice. I get my best Dan joke material from Dan making fun of himself. Oh, You're welcome. So I just steal it. So you uh, take it. Yeah. It's inter it, it, That almost feels like kind of a reverse path to like what I hear most often. I feel like... Um, I hear a lot of like, uh, I tried to be an actor, I tried doing this and kind of like found my way into this other form of communicating, whether it was like storytelling or, um, or motivational speaking. So you all, you were already working as a motivational speaker. You're already yeah. touring, traveling, you're yeah. talking to predominantly high schoolers or predominantly high school kids. Yeah. Okay. So mm. what, what then makes you go, I think I want to do, uh, like the Hollywood route. I mean, there was a number of things, so it's kind of. There, this is a, a very it's a strange story but I'll like spare the how big it can get um, <clears throat> one I, I I was always told you need to be a pastor right because I became a Christian when I was 20 years old okay. and automatically because I was speaking I started to speak and people were like oh you have a little bit of a gifting as a speaker so therefore you need to be a pastor that's what speaking yeah, that's, right it's like that's yeah. that's it what must be from god <laughs> yeah exactly and so speaking at youth what were you speaking as a 20 year old so um i start well it took a couple of years for me to start speaking but once i was 22 it was my senior year in college and then i started speaking in classrooms gotcha. so the, what happened is i heard very clearly once i became a christian i'm going to use your voice and that was like this sort of like god moment where i just knew i needed to speak about something and so I then read a book that said Leaders Take Initiative. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, if I'm going to be a leader, I need to put myself out there. So I started to ask around. One of my friends was like, I speak on abstinence. Why don't you sort of like try it out? <laughs> so Why don't you start in the deep end? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I observed two Here, classrooms. Here's this hip, cool idea <laughs> high school students love. Right, yeah. right? <laughs> so I observed two classrooms and then they just threw me in the deep end 
to talk to kids. Like I had no experience, um, but I automatically loved it and started to grow. I did that for four years, and then I had an opportunity to be on the Tyra Bank show. Mm-hmm. And I that just watched that today. Okay, that was great. And that led to my second opportunity to be on the Tyra Bank show, where Tyra hooked me up on a date. And that opened up to my first conference where people were like, why the heck were you on the Tyra Banks show? Mm-hmm. And that opened up to my first speaking tour. And then that snowballed into like this career. I can see, I can definitely see why people are like, God has his hand on his life. Like <laughs> God is guiding. I can totally, yeah. I totally, cause when you hear that story, it's yeah. like, oh my God, this is all so random. Yeah. Like it had to be some divine thing guiding you in providence or whatnot. Um, when you started doing abstinence speaking, mm-hmm. um, I mean, were you a virgin? Like, or had you, I mean, yeah. like, what's that all about? Yeah, Why abstinence? I did not have the sexy times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also it should be, it's important for our listeners. Uh, you're a very good looking man. I appreciate that. You're a hands, yeah. you're like a handsome we'll dude. We'll post a headshot with this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, that'll be the strongest promotion for yeah. the episode. Just yeah. like Johan's photo. Here it is. Because you know the first seven minutes are like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, because like, like, uh, I feel like some people are like, well, he probably didn't have the sexy time because he looks like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. But like, you're a very good looking guy. You could have all the sexy time. Also, chastity is not a virtue if you have no game. Thank you. That's the thing, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't count. Yeah. It doesn't count. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, we should get a couple of t-shirts. Yeah, um, so what was the question? <laughs> I guess, I guess, uh, it was, it was why abstinence and had you, sure. you had been a virgin. So, so as part of what I was telling you earlier, I grew up, uh, in a really dysfunctional environment. I grew up with an alcoholic uncle who was a Latin King, which is a gang in Chicago, mm-hmm. Latino gang, primarily. He was a drug addict. He was a womanizer. I mean, everything that you could wrap up into one person that was ugly and dysfunctional, like he was it. So there was a life-changing moment that I had when I was in seventh grade. And basically, I was on my way out of school. My uncle was laid out on the couch at 8 a.m. drunk, just stone cold drunk with a bottle in his hand. And for some reason, on this particular day, I was like frozen in my tracks. And I just started to stare at him and I started to ask myself these questions as a little kid. I was like, is this going to be me? Mm. Is this my future? Like, is this what I have to look forward to? And so I just made a choice. I was like, I'm never going to be like him. And so all I made all these choices as a seventh grade. I was like, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do drugs. I'm never going to join a gang. And I also said, like, with when it came to, like, sex and love, I was like, I need to figure out what love is. And I want to have sex with somebody because I love them, mm-hmm. not just because I'm doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that was what carried me until I became 20 was this notion that, like, I want to find somebody that I love and then that's why we're going to have sex. Now, that and the fact that I was a late bloomer, like I didn't go through puberty until I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So that helps. Yeah, yeah, I was I was like I was 5'2 my first year of high school and then 5'4 and then I went from like 5'4 to 5'11. So that that helped a lot, too. But so um, nice. yeah, yeah, I was always like, that's like, gonna be me. <laughs> <laughs> just wait. My times are coming. Twenty-three, <laughs> twenty-four. Just and wait. I, exactly right. And I played basketball, so that was definitely an answer to a lot of uh, prayer. Because I was like, yeah. I can't be short, Jesus. Uh, please don't do that He's to like, me. Spud That's part of why I started to believe in him. I was like, okay, my, my, just watching my, my prayer, bones yeah, yeah, clips. Exactly. Like, no. just, yeah. <laughs> um, but like I said, that carried me for a long time, and then I became a Christian, and then I started to sort of unwrap. The deeper meaning of like, oh, this is why sex is important mm-hmm. and sacred and uh, marriage is vital and all these other ideas that started to sort of like give me a stronger foundation. Because I, it, up until that point, it was like I'd had a lot of moments where I was like, oh, I'm going to have sex. This is it. And it was right there, you know, girls naked. <laughs> and I'm like, there was always something that was like, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of held me back. And I had a handful of moments before I became a Christian that were like that and then you know there's the other moments that came after that too yeah but we got more story to tell yeah I think your story I don't want to jump sure too far but I think one of the first conversations we had that made me want to have this conversation was that your own progression sexually like the, the things that you stumbled into after having that long I don't know how much you want to go into. Yeah. There's a wide open let's go, let's talk, space, let's man. Talk, yeah. So what, what, what's been the last five years then? Like, what's well, so, been the major? Yeah, I think, you know, um, what's tricky is f- a large part of my identity was rooted in this conversation. And people knew me as the guy that was waiting. 
So then I started to struggle. You're like Britney Spears. You're, you're like you're like Britney <laughs> you gotta, Spears around like break 2002, that down for 2003, Spears, <laughs> when like she's dating Justin Timberlake and like it's pure, it's pure, yeah. But like that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot, that's of, yeah. pressure. a lot of pressure. It's oh, a lot yeah. of pressure, and that's the thing is like, not only was there pressure, but it was like that's where my strength was. You know, it was just like mm. this is who I am, and like. There was at times a chip on my shoulder about it, and and there were women that I would interact with where I'm like, oh, like you know, yeah, I would use the, I would probably, you know, for the most part, have the conversation piece of like, no, you know, we're all, we all have different stories, but there was that part of me that was like secretly judgmental, right? You know, and it's just like, oh, have you had sex with like thirty guys or tw- you know, fifteen, yeah. mm-hmm. and like that's too much, you know, maybe like a handful I can deal with, you know what I mean? Like there was yeah, that part and of me. If you that, like really regret it, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. and it's like, are you really repentant? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I was on this journey where then I started to struggle. Then I would like keep pushing the line with girls, keep pushing the line, keep pushing the line. Cause I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be married by now, but this is not happening. So I would legitimize How it. Old you know, you? I'm 37 now. 37. Okay. You no know? way. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 37. We got to post a photo. Of this, like, <laughs> this is making me feel so shitty about myself. No. Okay. That's amazing. It's the no drinking. and all It's no drinking. I can't do it. Yeah, I'm a look old as shit. I can't do <laughs> it. Nah, man. Nah. I'll tell you. That's the, all this the alcohol and sex is really warm. All this not drinking is the elixir of youth. <laughs> that's what it is. Oh, that's the worst news. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Water and cold showers. This was literally this coffee cup straight whiskey that's I drove, it. <laughs> drove, that's drove it. over Starbucks has expanded their menu alright I'm Praise sorry I'm no sorry. no it's all good it's all yeah. good uh, but basically I, I, I kept pushing that line farther and farther and farther until I got to a point where the only thing that I hadn't done was like basically have straight out intercourse You've had all of the Christian sex, like uh, the yeah, everything yeah, Christian the, sex. Yeah, up, to, that, up yes. to like I've done everything, and then I was like, I haven't yeah, done, yeah. just gone all the way. Yeah, and uh, there was a girl that I was dating. We went back and forth for you know four years, and we recently, uh, in the beginning of the year, actually in 2016, got back together again. And um, I was just like, you know, I think I'm just gonna throw in the towel. And I was like, this is the girl that I love, and at the point at that time, I was like, I th- I'm. I'm going to marry her. Like, we're going to do it. So I want to experience this and let's just make it happen. So I did it. And, um, obviously my whole life changed. You know, I was, I was stronger. I was faster. I was smarter. No, it was just funny. I looking at booking it was, yeah, I started booking more roles. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be real sympathetic um, yeah, for yeah. what he's about to say. I, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're missing out with as many people as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> if there's something not right in your life, and there's a job you're not getting. There's a reason. Get busy. This sounds like Scientology. This pitch Scientology. <laughs> Everything you always wanted to. Right? No, and then I felt this, there, but there was this strange mixture of this weight that was lifted off my shoulders because of that pressure that I was talking about you guys, you know, like earlier, mm. where it's like, this was my identity. And so many people were looking at me like, you know, you're the, the hero, you're the champion. You're the one that's like holding it <laughs> Hold down. Hold out for the rest yeah, of keep us. holding yeah. out. Cause now we can't do it, but you're the one that's doing it. Mm. Oh my God. So that weight was lifted. But at the same time, I also felt the reality of, I was defeated. You know, like I, I didn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't honor God in this way that I ultimately wanted to, you know? And so it was this weird sort of combination, this weird cocktail of um, freedom from all that weight, but at the same time knowing that I'd missed the mark still. Two-part question. Yeah. One, did she feel like it was as special as you felt it was? And two, are you still together? Uh, so, yeah, well, I'll, I'll answer two first. We're, we're not together. Um <clears throat> And it was, you know, this is the hard part. I don't know if it was as special to her, but I'll tell you what happened in the moment. And then I'll kind of unpack for you why we uh, broke up eventually. But so she she started crying. Like we had sex, we finished, and she was crying. And then she was like, I know God is telling me, like, we're going to get married. Hmm. Had you and, been feeling that way too? You know, and that's the thing is like, 
I have I had trust issues with her at the time. Mm-hmm. And part of like our back and forth was I had caught her in some lies, and and um, that's why we really couldn't stay together. Mm. Is I didn't trust how truthful she was going to be. And I think even this moment, that moment for me was an example of that, where like she was so quick to throw out this thing, which is huge to me. You know, like if somebody's like, God, God, is, God yeah. says we're supposed to be together and we're going to get married. That's that's big. Yeah. That's not something I'm just going to throw out. And and on, on the day that we broke up, uh, we broke up because I caught her in a lie and I called her out on it. And she was like, well, I don't want to be with you if you can't trust me. And I'm like, I'm calling you out on something, you know? And then, so then she kept saying, I was like, well, you know, we were in counseling. And I said, well, let's go to counseling. Let's talk about it. And she's like, no, because you're going to hold this against me. And I said, well, what, what happened to God told you, like, we're going to be together, you know? Yeah. Because to me, like I said, like, that was, a, that was a big thing. But ultimately, you know, we broke up because I just could not trust. And, and, and this is the hard part is, like, I... I gave myself to somebody believing that I wanted this to be it. Yeah. I wanted to be the final sort of like person that I was ever with in this way. Um, but also knowing that I didn't want that reality to trap me. Because I think that's another thing that the Christian world does. It's like, oh, well, okay, we had sex. Therefore, boom, that's it. Done. We got to marry this person. Yeah. And I just didn't. I, I wanted to solidify wanting to marry a person not based on the fact that we had sex only but based on the fact that actually we're gonna make each other better people you know we're gonna serve god together and we're going to make the world a better place like those are the things that i wanted to kind of like base it on as opposed to well we messed up so Mm. now in order to clean it up Mm. this is what i have to do yeah i think that's what's confusing I think for me and Dan and for a lot of like young people is you like if God even gets a little distant, all of a sudden your your values about sex are equally as distant, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to before you're 20, before you're converted, you're just a hopeless romantic. You're exactly. just like, yeah. I just want to love one yeah. woman. Yeah. And yeah. that's a lot more tangible, like you dreaming of your wedding night, you dreaming of saying like, hey, I know you maybe didn't, but I did, and this yeah. is like the gift I had for you. Sure. And then God comes in and makes it difficult, like makes it way harder to hold uh, values of restraint, values of purity, all these things that are noble and good in and of themselves. Yeah. And the first, this is probably part of why I wanted to start this podcast is like, how come when we lump God and spirituality on it, it got so much more confusing and difficult because now this girl can look at you after sex and go, God told me we're going to be together forever. Yeah. That does not happen to non-Christian people after the bar. Yeah. That's not an added pressure for them. Like they, unless it's like some crazy twist and like, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Yeah. But I think Christians just were so vulnerable to that misguided. The, agreed. The, the like, uh, using the spiritual dimension as a tool yeah for sure um yeah i think also it's it's one thing you know we t- in in the church we teach about um you know staying staying pure or whatever i even sort of like yeah. cringe at the language no, yeah. um but like chastity and it's one thing because i think i always had the assumption i'm 28 i figured i'd be super married by now i figured i'd be super married and probably like working on kids by 28 um imagine when you're 37 yeah yeah well it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, like... it's it's the kind of thing that i think as christian kids is like wait until marriage guys and sure. the assumption is like okay i can wait until i'm like 22 23 because that's right. that's when you see so many young christian couples getting married like oh, i yeah. went to christian a christian college, college yeah and um that gets it gets so much harder as you get older yeah. and it's like, yo, I just don't, I, okay. Yeah. Like God and Jesus and stuff. Dope, whatever. But like, I'm still like a, a mammal animal, yeah. like on this jungle planet. Like I still want to get my sex on. Yeah. And it's like, there are biological factors going on. Like there's ticking clocks for reproduction. Like there's things happening in the brain that like remove spirituality from it. We have an animal lizard brain yeah. that kind of just wants to do stuff. Yeah. I'm happy to have I'm happy to have this discussion, but I feel like our faith has to mesh with culture in some practical way. 
We have know, to figure out how to make it apply. this is what's interesting. You know, I didn't have a toolkit for what was happening to me. I didn't have a toolkit for the fact that I was getting older. I was supposed to be married a lot younger. And what, what, what I found was I was actually losing a little bit of credibility. Like, I, I would have interactions with people, and I'm like, I'm 35, and I haven't had sex. And it was just like this thing of like, really? Yeah. Mm. And I could see, like, the, the, it's different because when I would talk about drinking, and it's just like, oh, you're just so strong. And then with the sex, it was just like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, there was just a different, you <laughs> yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, on the locker room talk. Yeah, yeah and I didn't, have, I didn't have that toolkit from a scriptural perspective, like, for, from pastors, from anyone to yeah. give me wisdom or insight into, like, here's how you deal with it. Like, this is the thing that you're supposed to do. So I was left to myself to be like, man, like, what do I do? You know? I think... I, I think well, like... Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and... And so that's why I, I will say I, I kind of threw in the towel because I was like, look, if either it's going to work with this girl or I'm not a virgin or yeah. yeah. And I was willing to deal with the backlash and and the things that people were going to say about me and the fact that I failed. And, you know, yeah, I was you, on TV you really wedged yourself between a rock and a hard place yeah. because you're like, I'm either a weird virgin or I'm a massive hypocrite. Exactly. And all these high school kids are going to. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough, man. Yep. God. When I was 14 years old, I got myself into a little bit of trouble with a pastor's daughter, which I have to imagine is a tale as old as time for many a young, horny missionary teen. It was pretty lightweight in the grand scheme of exploration, but the guilt I carried after that experience ate me alive. I had been taught my whole life that sex was not just sacred, it was forbidden for anyone outside of marriage. Not just sex, either. Any conquest of bathing suit borders, above fabric or otherwise, was a sin deemed wholly unacceptable in the eyes of the living God, and nudity of any kind was a savage betrayal of the Lord's ordained plan for his children. Young men in my community were taught that God was a literal king, and any Christian girls were literal princesses, so any foul play was tantamount to treason of the royal order, and therefore, emotional flogging was the justice mandated for such crimes. After a few weeks of wrestling with my own guilt and fear that the grazing of a lady lump would land me in the deepest fires of hell, I gave a full confession to my parents. They were pretty heartbroken. This sort of thing can cause turmoil in a Christian community, especially when living in close proximity in a foreign country. I was bequeathed to divulge the full extent of my waywardness in details one would never hope to speak to their parents, at which point the other pastor was made aware of my perversion. I then had to sit in tribunal with my mother and father, as well as the young lady's mother and father, who, might I remind you, was a goddamned pastor, and recall and recant all errors in judgment. The pastor's wife, who had always been sweet and kind to me, stood up and took a small decorative china teacup off of a nearby dresser. Daniel, she said, using my full Hebraic namesake, which happens to mean judged by God. This teacup represents our trust in you. She smashed it to the floor, sending pieces of china all over the linoleum. It is up to you to repair it. I'll never forget crawling around on that floor, picking up china. I'll also never forget about a year later, learning that her church was in chaos, because that pastor had been having an affair. The church has a sex problem, nay, a sex addiction, and we aren't dealing with it in the right way. For 2,000 years, the church has been guilty of taking one of the most complex and natural elements of being human and said, bad, don't look, don't touch, until you're married, then it's the best thing in the world. Good luck. Christians, particularly American evangelicals, are obsessed with sex. We are obsessed with abstinence programs, purity rings, waiting for the one, and our honeymoons. Don't mishear me. I'm on board with what Johan is talking about. I'm all for character building, commitment, and teens understanding the risks of promiscuity and the benefits of monogamy. In many ways, I wish myself at 14 could have talked to a cool, handsome, older guy who had committed to waiting as long as Johan did. But unfortunately, that's not the experience I had, and it's not what many others are getting. Every adult I knew who talked about sex had engaged in premarital sex, and when asked about the subject, talked about how that was before they knew Jesus and had been saved. Sex is often treated as the most egregious sin someone could commit, a line that fundamentally changes who you are once crossed. A young person's value is often linked to their purity and sexual discipline, and impurities in sexual history are treated as scars and disfigurements you and anyone who loves you will have to fight to overcome. 
The landscape of sex is treated like a war zone, in which the world will seek to maim and destroy as many members of the Lord's army as it can, leaving young men and women incomplete, broken, and marred. If you think I'm being overdramatic, consider the fact that key reading on sexuality for boys in many youth groups is literally titled, Every Young Man's Battle. It creates a dynamic of affliction that can either make those who stayed pure feel like righteous war heroes, and those who did not feel like wounded and disabled vets who will spend their life begging for society's scraps, while the holy and just will get the good stuff. We also paint the picture that waiting for one's wedding night will yield a perfect and serendipitous marriage, not to mention a monogamous sex life as wild and unchained as a letter to penthouse. Christian boys and girls grit their teeth, overt their eyes, and hold their legs together as long as they can, trying to hold on to the thing they have been taught is the key to health and happiness a clean slate. This often leads to young marriages in the 18 to 22 year old range, many of which end in brutal divorce. Because of course they do. Who the hell knows who they are at 22? However, a quick Google search of something along the lines of regret waiting for marriage reveals some pretty sad stories about people who had their hearts ravaged by the disparity between Christian myth and marital reality. While it is true that many people have waited till marriage and had a wonderful, happy life, just as many have regretted their decisions. A honeymoon is a rough place to find out that you have no sexual chemistry, a medical difficulty that complicates the process, or even just the emotional trauma that comes with years and years of being told your value is your purity. Those feelings of guilt and shame don't vanish with some paperwork, jewelry, and a party. The church's treatment of sex is not preventing people from having it, it's just preventing them from discussing it openly. And when many Christians do avoid it, they often find it not the coital miracle they imagined it to be. I'm not meaning to make a sweeping moral statement here, and I'm not trying to rewrite scripture to fit my morality. I'm not telling you to go have as much strange as you have stamina for and treat it like it's no big deal. Sex has a huge psychological effect on the brain and it changes the nature of relationships and human connection. It's complicated and should be navigated with care for your heart and mindfulness of your health, bodily and mental. What I am saying is that I believe in an effort to do the right thing. The church have made a delicate, beautiful thing an idol, and by not talking about it realistically and gently, they have exposed their own young people to greater danger and heartache. In many ways, culture and the church have done the same thing in opposite directions, taking sex and giving it more value than it probably has in the grand scheme of things. Sex won't make you feel whole and complete, and it won't always destroy your life and chance at happiness. I like what the Hebrew teacher said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Obviously, he wasn't specifically talking about sex, but he was talking about all the things we heap upon ourselves culturally and religiously that beat our humanity down with shame, guilt, and regret. So I'll end with this. If you are a young Christian who has waited for sex, that's great. You have something you believe in, and you held to it. Remember that it's not the sex you are waiting for, it's the commitment and love. The sex will probably be awkward and slightly uncomfortable, and a little painful, and definitely shorter than you're expecting, but the security and safety that comes with loving commitment is worth waiting for. If you are a young Christian that has not waited for sex, and maybe, like me, has some conflicting feelings about that, I just want to remind you that grace abounds. You are not dirty, or used, or of lesser value. You have perhaps learned some valuable lessons about yourself and your heart. And if you enjoyed the sex and don't feel bad, great. You made a decision and lived some life. And you are the person you are because of the path you have taken. And that person is beautiful and deeply loved by God. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, learn to discuss these issues with nuance and care. Realizing that we may only have one life to live. And everyone is trying to figure out how best to live it. For the record, when I was 14, I was pretty into building models. So I took all that china home, and I put that teacup back together. It was never the same, but I was pretty proud of what I did with it. There's something interesting about your story, because there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I love. I think it's in Mere Christianity, where he talks about chastity. And he says, uh, indulgence always brings fog, but virtue, even attempted virtue, brings clarity. And I hear your story, I'm like, that's a shitload of attempted virtue. Yeah. Like, decades of yeah. attempted virtue. But then it leads to, like, disillusionment or um, just kind of giving up right at the finish line yeah. a little bit. Is it just age? Is it just getting worn down? Like, do you have tips for people who, like... Because clearly you still advocate waiting. Yeah. So what... Do you have any advice with your new experience of like... Yeah, I mean, well, and I'll back up a little bit. I mean, so at some point you made the decision to go back to like 
I'm going to return to celibacy. It's not virginity, but like yeah, exactly. no more chosen virginity. celibacy. But it is a struggle. Just rub it in, Dan. I think yeah, you're a dirty, dirty, <laughs> dirty handsome dirty, man. I can't get over the handsomeness. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah. So like what, what brought you to that point? Was there just the, the one relationship and then you were like, uh, I didn't feel great about that. So I'm going to go back to a celibate lifestyle. Or did you sort of like sow some oats? Um, I, I, I definitely had the experience where it's like, and then one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened a couple of times actually this year as well, where I've, I've always sort of understood that as like a cop out. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm like, oh, dang. Like, so it was a bit of the floodgates opening. There was a little yeah. bit of like, ugh. But I, I remember the first time like after I had broken up with my ex-girlfriend and I was hanging out with a girl, we went out on some dates. And um, it just kept escalating, escalating. And then we went there and I automatically, like I'm here with this girl and my countenance like shrinks and she felt it, you know? And she was like, what just happened? And I was like, I feel so guilty. Like, I just feel like I shouldn't have done this. Like it was automatic, you Mm. know? And, um, the next day I was crying out, I'm like at my house and I, I, I just stayed at home the whole day because Mm. I was like, this is not, it's not who I want to be. It's not the life that I want to live. Um, but now I just feel like there's this thing that I've allowed into my life and now I don't know how to shake it. You know, I don't know how to go back to the stronger version of myself Hmm. And I think that's the thing that I've been wrestling with ever since then is that I definitely have, to me, it's just, it is a battle. I want to honor God, but then there's a part of me. It's like, but I also want to just feel this thing that I felt before, you know? And, um, once again, I, I think the thing that has helped me stay sober at times, and, and I use the word sober because, um, I believe like the part of it, there was an addictive, pursuit in it right like it was just part of what i've learned about addiction is you're using this thing you know in place of something else that you want and Mm. and i wanted love like i wanted something meaningful you know and so but i was willing to put up with this thing that made me feel good you know that made me feel Mm. good in the moment uh instead of really finding love uh so in my sober moments it's me understanding that I'm overcoming a part of myself. I'm overcoming the the ego part of me that says I can get whatever I want when I want it. Um, Mm. And it's me just saying, like, that's the person that I want to be. Like, I don't want to be a person who just, when I have a a desire for whatever, I get to go after and I get to get it. You know, and I get to snatch it up, whether that be sex, clothes, you know, whatever. Fill in the blank of the thing. It's like, if I want it, I'm going to take it. Not, it doesn't have to be by force. But through persuasion, through mm. smooth talking, through whatever, yeah. and I'm going to get that thing that I want. So it's it's helped me understand that I cannot be this type of person for the rest of my life. Like I want to be a person who understands that there's certain things that I want to say no to for myself because it is making me a better person. Um, and I want to be that person. But like I said, it is now this struggle where I find myself then saying, yeah, but is it is it really that big of a deal? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like, who does it hurt? Mm-hmm. And so I definitely just seesaw from who I want to be to who I settle for. Is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? Is that a serious question? No, it wasn't. Okay. I think celibacy is good. I also think sex is pretty damn good, too. I don't think we should treat virgins like unicorns. I also don't think we should treat sex as the same thing as grabbing a cup of coffee with a friend on a Tuesday afternoon, i.e. casual sex. As always, I think there's a potential middle ground between complete indulgence and total avoidance. Most of pop culture attributes way too much attention, energy, and status to our sex life, while most of mainstream Christian culture puts tons of pressure and shame on sexual activity. If sex is an appetite, much like we have an appetite for food, then the hunger for sex is not a moral wrong or dirty in and of itself, just like craving a cheeseburger at midnight is not immoral. However, the best way to evaluate an appetite is to look at the results it has on our lives. In Luke 7.35, Jesus says, Wisdom is justified by her children. He's basically saying when you live wisely, the fruit of your life will be evidence enough that your choices were healthy, prudent, and right. 
So when we make that midnight booty call to in and out a few too many times, we can watch our waistline expand, our cholesterol rise, our sleep patterns get disrupted, and eventually we have to push away any friends with a six-pack because their life is a continual reminder of the healthier lifestyle we've been neglecting. Now, the flip side to gluttony is anorexia, which is the exact same obsession with food but manifested in the complete opposite way. Anorexic people still think about food just as much as a 300-pound fat guy, so there's no moral high ground amongst them. My problem with celibacy in the Christian context is that most of the time it's a sort of white-knuckling self-restraint that resembles sexual anorexia more than anything worthy of being labeled a virtue. Growing up, I didn't know any 16-year-old boys who didn't think about sex constantly. Most of my Christian friends and I fell neck deep into porn because we were never taught how to healthily express our sexual urges. Looking back on it, it's a pretty cruel system to have old, impotent men scolding young men in their sexual prime for masturbating and lusting after women. There has to be a better third option. Ladies, I can't even begin to speak about what it's like to be in your shoes. In my limited observations, it seems like women get hit way harder by the purity labels than anything else. You're either as pure as the Virgin Mary herself or tainted forever and no good man will ever fall in love with you. Again, both sides of this sexual coin are completely fucked. And I use strong language intentionally there to match the level of devastation this paradigm has caused in religious circles. If you're a woman looking for guidance in this area of life, Diana Anderson wrote a book last year called Damaged Goods, New Perspectives on Christian Purity. So I'll leave it to wise, influential women like her to take the lead on this issue, both for men and women. But anyway, I'll close with a quote from the president himself, a Mr. Frank Underwood, who said, Everything in life is about sex, except for sex. Sex is about power. I would agree, but with a slight caveat. I'd say sex is not about power, but sex is power. And we're never truly in power when we're obsessed with and idolizing any one thing, whether it be orgasms or cheeseburgers, which can often be comparable depending on your mood. Ultimately, true power only comes when we've surrendered our need for it, which can only happen once we've acknowledged our desire for it, accepted ourselves as we are, and transcended our basic instincts in order to become truly wise. With that said, let's get back to Johan. I will like I'll posit a notion and feel free to feel free to push back sure. like uh, either of you. Yeah. Um, I hate it already. Great. Awesome. <laughs> Super good conversation, cool. Johan. <laughs> Me and Cole have some stuff we got to work yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Our sex life has been terrible, and it's it's kind of making like, things weird in here. Top, yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, that horn that would just like kill you. I feel like the the church historically has overemphasized holiness and purity and um, underemphasized empathy. And yes. I think I wish that as the and you church... wanted us to push back on that. No, here, yeah, hold, on, hold on, like no, no, no. <laughs> here, bullshit. Yeah. Here, here's what I, I I kind of wish that uh, as Christians we were a little better about the notion because um, I was raised with so much pressure to to not make any mistakes. I I, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's better to just like let yourself experience life and you will learn like i don't like the way that i felt as a human being after that mm-hmm. yeah i don't like i don't like the way that made me feel about my identity and that doesn't just have to be sexual we make sexuality this huge thing but you might like you know you might do something in the workplace that's just like you know you might fib or whatever and you're like i don't like the way that made me feel yeah i don't like the way i treated that person i got i got involved in like a well, gossip circle and, and i didn't I think like what it what people are afraid of though is doing that thing and then saying I did like the way that it made me feel like being hmm. like lying like a and sociopath. saying, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, we so, I think fear that, that we don't want to even say, well, what does it look just to live? Well, that's what, you know, sorry. Well, that's, I get, that's I get what, excited about this. That's because... fair. That's what keeps me away from cocaine. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I think I would like that way and that's too what much. I'm saying well, is that, so that's why I, I say that that fine line is that it's us trying to figure out like what, when do we just, become that person who is sociopathic and is like, yeah. I like doing evil. I like lying to you and getting away with it. Mm, I like yeah. sleeping around. I like manipulating because I have met those people. Mm. You know, I've met people who do that type of thing and they're like, there's a, there's this 
almost joy. Yeah. And that's scary. You know? Well, that's what the I've been I watched the first season of Westworld, and that's the whole premise of that show is like giving people an opportunity to become the people they have secretly kind of wanted to be. Yeah. Like you sleep around, you kill anybody, you do whatever you want, you break all the rules. And one of the main characters kind of has that moment where he he does a heinous thing, and then his like towards the arc, the end of the arc of the show. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But he just has a moment where he's like doing the whole exposition thing. And he's just like, I didn't feel a thing when he did it. And so then he realized, Oh, I'm not this goody two shoe kind of guy. And then he went with it and it shaped the entire arc of his life. All that to say, I think there's an inherent danger with the whole experience factor because I don't think our biological preset, like nature the way we're born and the way we just have like base operating functions is like what to strive for. Yeah. That's where I have a hard time with those articles about you're not programmed to be monogamous. We're not programmed to this or there's animals in this nature. And I'm like, what a low bar to yeah, like strive exactly. for mm-hmm. our base mm-hmm. programming. Well, and that's really, the thing is nothing I, more to this life. And that's the thing is a part of what I've been sort of thinking about for a couple of years now is like, how do we know when to not trust our emotions? How do we know when to not trust the right. things that we're naturally inclined to? How do we know when those things are actually more hurtful than helpful? Yeah. And that's, I think, the hard part about life because so much of our argument is like, no, like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is, it just feels natural. It just feels like this is the thing that is me. But at one point do we say, well, actually, what if the thing that you think is you is not really you, but it's all those layers of conditioning that's actually taking you down a path that's actually more harmful for you? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we have that conversation with people to be like, what if some of the things that you trust aren't trustworthy? I think that's what we have to kind of like talk about. I've had so many conversations with uh, Christians slightly younger than me. I'm 28. Okay. Um, a lot younger than you. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to provide some, <laughs> some sense of what context. What if I flipped it on you? Oh, you're 28? What are you eating? <laughs> I drink a lot. That's <laughs> why I look so much older. Oh, um, but a lot, I, what I hear a lot of the time is young Christians who are starting to grow up, they're starting to try to define their own faith. They're trying to, they're trying to explore Christianity in their own way, leaving behind... The religious, the 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 religion that they were raised with. Sure. What's good? What's true? What's worth keeping? And what I hear all the time is as they start to date people, especially in L.A. Yeah. Start to date people, and maybe they date people outside of the church. You hear this question of like, I mean, like I'm a virgin, but like, like, is it still like a big deal? Like, why am I clinging to this thing? As I start to lose other aspects of traditional Christendom. Why, why is this thing the one to keep? Yeah. Because it seems like so many people are having sex and they're fine. Yeah. And they're having fun. Yeah. And they're enjoying, I mean, like from the outside, obviously you can't sit and talk to all those people, but from the outside, I work in the bartending community. I'm an actor. I'm around the comedy community. People have sex and they see it's a good time. It's yeah. They're okay. So it's yeah. like how... I guess what would, what's your perspective on that? What would you say to somebody who's kind of like wrestling through that? Well, I would say, yes, it's true. Like you can have sex and be fine. I think part of the thing that we, we have to wrestle with is, you know, from a spiritual perspective, we do believe it does something to your soul, but the hard part is, well, then where's the evidence of that? Like, how do you, how yeah, do you, how do you, measure how do you examine soul? your soul? Right. Yeah. How do you figure out like, cause I think as I have struggled and as I gave myself, you know, to a woman, part of what I think happened to me is like, it, it took away some of the sacredness of it. Right. So now there's a part of me that's like, Hmm. Maybe it's not that important, right? So even that conversation of like, well, the more we partake in something, the more we give ourselves, give ourselves, does it does it snatch the sacredness of the thing so that we're not even able to see it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes that's what God tries to do in our life is like he wants to give us vision. He wants to give us perspective. He wants to give, help us see things that we cannot see. If I can, if I can dumb sure. the question down slightly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you say to somebody... Because I've heard this too. Um, if somebody were to just say, 
sex, sex doesn't matter. It's not important. Like you can, it's not like, it's not a big deal. I mean, I've had, I've, I've heard people say like, sex isn't a big deal. Like you, you meet somebody, you're attracted, you just hook up. It's fine. It's fun. If you're both safe, yeah. if you're both consensual and like it can, you, you just like high five and that's it. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, what would you say to somebody saying that? I mean, I, first thing for me is like, I'm not, I don't, I don't try to convince anybody, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to like convert someone's mentality who says, you know, it's just, it's not a big deal. Um, part of what I have learned after I had sex is realizing, I think part of why God said, hey, it's good to wait is because what it does is it, it kills our ego. I think it kills a part of our ego and it, and what it does is it once again helps us understand you can't have what you want when you want it. Like we don't live in a world where whatever you want, whatever physical desire you have, you can't just have it. You know, you have to learn how to become a person that has these desires and that knows when to say no to yourself. Now, part of what I want to be a faithful man, like I want to be married to a woman and be able to go places and be tempted and not sleep with other women. Part of what I've learned is the only way to practice that is by saying no to women that aren't my wife. Mm -hmm. You know, and the only way that that can happen is like, as long as I'm not married, I'm saying no to women that aren't my wife so that when I get married, I'm really good at saying no to women that aren't my wife. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Some people think we're just going to magically have this ability. Hmm. So when somebody says, you know what, it's just not that big of a deal. Okay, great. What type of person do you want to be when you're married? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be a person who can honestly look at the person across from you and say, I'm good at saying no to people that I'm not married to? Right. Right. So, and that's the thing is like, it's a muscle that we can learn how to flex. Yeah, but I think restraint. what happens, yeah, it's yeah. restraint, it's self control. So, part of why I think God has built this is to help us sort of build that muscle to be faithful individuals. Because, you know, I don't know what conversations you guys have had in terms of like character development. And I just feel like a, a large part of the time, what God is trying to do is sharpen our character. He's trying to help us look more like him. And this self-control piece, I think is key when it comes to the sex conversation. It's not about him saying, I want to like strip you guys of having fun. Mm-hmm. It's, I want to help you become the best version of yourselves possible. I, I think a little bit of what Dan's asking though, is like, how do you have that conversation without all the God language? Cause I'm like sure. with you. I think that's a beautiful statement on like our, our created character. But if someone's like, yeah, I don't have like a divine Same. authority. And yeah. so sex to me just feels like a great thing. Why not indulge it? Maybe I'll get married, but I, 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 yeah, I tend go. to try to play the role of the, of the non-believer in sure. the, in this room anyway, sure. in this podcast. It's a stretch no, of like a role it. to play. Uh, so. yeah. Well, all right. We're having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I think so that, that part of it, I think is still relevant where look, if, so if somebody's saying, I want to get married, I think the part of it that's saying, well, how do you become a person that is flexing this muscle of being faithful? Whether you believe in God or not, just this, a universal truth. Yeah, this thing life. will help you stay faithful. So just like the one thing, the one final sort of like statement for me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're in a pretty pivotal season because this all went down this year, you said, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think you're, I love also that you're willing to have a conversation in the thick of it because even I struggle with yeah like I I hate when I say even I Um, even I I in my (laughs) enlightened Uh, state I hate that (laughs) Uh, I've listened to too many like Christian speakers that that, like pastors that like even I so um, what I'm trying to say is I prefer to come to a situation or a hot topic having solved it and having yeah. been in like a no, place. I like I used to drink a little too much and I had carted off an ambulance once, but that was five years ago, mm. you know, as opposed to like right now, just like 48 hours ago, boom, this happened. So I think you're in a really unique place to speak about it. So if there's anything in the process, like we're not asking for like answers. Sure. Richard War has a great quote where like the soul doesn't need answers. It needs meaning. So like if yeah. there's any meaning you could communicate. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I, there was a, there was this part, like portion of me, that was reluctant to even come here and talk because I'm like, man, I feel like I'm struggling, you know, and I feel like this has been a hard year, and mm-hmm. 
I don't have many answers because I, I think my past, the past version of myself really prided myself on being the strong guy who had a lot of answers. And now as I sit in this room with you guys, I do feel like I'm the guy who has been battered and beat down by life and doesn't have a lot of those answers that I thought I, I used to have. Um, and the thing that I think for me this year that I've really been wrestling with and trying to figure out how do I live in is this idea of surrender, you know, and I know that's like a big Christian word, but I want to live in the freedom of knowing like I can't control certain parts of my life. I think that's what led me to having sex initially, which was like, I wanted my life to look a certain way. Like I hadn't surrendered the way that my life was supposed to look. And then even after the fact, you know, coming to grips with, I couldn't control this girl that I was in a relationship with and I couldn't control the way that our story was supposed to look. And I just needed to give that up. You know, I needed to walk away from the way that it was supposed to be in my mind and really step into, hey, look, life is just not that neat. It's, it's very messy and it's very ugly. And I want to I want to figure out how I can be a, a free human being as I live with open hands. You know, and, and if that's the thing that I can give to your audience is like really figure out what it lives to what it, what it means to live a surrendered life when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to faith, when it comes to your relationships. What would our lives look like if we were just surrendered human beings who were not holding everything so tightly trying to control all the answers and the way the story is supposed to end and what we're supposed to be when we're 28, 37, dating for three years, fill in the blank, but we just walk freely, one day at a time, present, surrendered and knowing like that's enough. Perfect. That's beautiful, man. Dude, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for, for sure. opening up and having this conversation with us. Appreciate it, man. Good yeah. talking to you. Yeah, I thanks feel like me. we could talk for hours. I, I, I had a blast talking with you guys. Dude, though. we'll have to do a part part two on this thing. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I will talk about sex all well, the time. You know, and that's We're going to do the back pew after dark hey, with you know, Johan. For sure, for sure. Tell us about your last experience, Johan. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would like to talk about other things, too. So, you know, I don't want to be pegged as nah, sex. No, just sex, pal. Just sex. No, that's, that's guys, your brand. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That's it. I appreciate we you guys. Really man. Hold yeah. you back into exactly. this. <laughs>